it's a moment that we're all aware of. We've all been through it at one point or another. It's a particular day in December. There's paper all over the floor. Everyone's excited. And then you see a box for one of the kids or for one of your siblings. And on that box, it has the dreaded, the dreaded phrase that everyone's just hesitant to deal with, some assembly required. Some assembly required. And as any good person would do, when you take that box open, the last thing you look at is the instruction manual. You look at it, you try to figure out, how can I do this myself? How can I put this together without having to use the instruction manual? The reality is, after probably five or six hours of wanting to pull your hair out because you keep messing it up, you eventually go back to that book, and in 30 minutes or so, it's done. It's all taken care of. And if we had just taken the time at the first to just read the instruction manual, it wouldn't have been a whole ordeal. We have had much more of the day to deal with. All over our country and all over our world today, there are people who are trying to build churches without an instruction manual. They're trying to worship God without even looking at the booklet that He gave us to follow after Him. And the reality is there's so much heartache and problems that could be solved if they would simply look at the instruction manual first. Look at the book that has been laid out and it tells us exactly how we are to behave ourselves, how we are to follow after God, what He expects of you and me. That's what we're going to be considering this morning is the pattern for God's church, the church's pattern. If you would please open your Bibles to our text, Acts chapter 2. It's Acts chapter 2. This is a passage that probably many of us are familiar with and have read for one point or another, maybe have heard it in a Bible class or something along those lines. But do you realize that when we get to the very end of this, it gives us a pattern. It gives us a pattern that we're to follow after to be like the first century church. That's what we all want, is it not? To be the church that God established, to be the one that He set forth? Well, here's our example. Here's a simple outline of what it means to be the church. Let's start particularly with verse 40. It says, In many other words, He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received His word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So this is the first gospel sermon. Jesus has ascended back into heaven. The apostles preach the sermon telling these people they need to repent. They need to come to Christ. They now need to become a part of the Lord's kingdom, the church. And about 3,000 souls were added to the church. That's a great starting congregation, is it not? 3,000 members? A whole lot of ability to work. But let's see what they did. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It's a simple outline. It tells us exactly what these people were doing as the church. Something that had never been done before. This would have been revolutionary for their time. Something totally different. And they're following after the teachings of Christ. But the first thing we noticed that they did, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. 
Now, the word doctrine is not one that is very happily seen in our society. Don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what to do. When it comes to laws, what's the first thing we're looking for? Loopholes. Loopholes. We see the laws in front of us. We say, okay, but what if I do this? What if I do this instead? Am I going to get in trouble for doing this? When it comes to doctrine in religion, there are several different things that we see. There's doctrines of men. There's doctrines of God. There are some who like to set forth all their own rules and regulations that do not come from the Word of God. And also, there are people who want to loose doctrines that God set forward. It's perfectly fine if you do this, even though God said to do it. Now, if we want to think that that's something that's unique for the world today or unique for the church, we can see this with the Pharisees. We see this with the old law and how the Israelites treated the old law. People for years have been trying to find a way of changing what God has said to make it more comfortable for me. Because if there's one thing about the Bible that's very true, it doesn't make you entirely comfortable. It's going to step on your toes at one point or another. Why? We're imperfect people reading a book from a perfect God. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be times where something is said, I didn't like that. I don't want to have to do that but it's set forth for a reason. So what would this include? It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What did this include? What was he talking about? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus giving the commission to his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, starting off with his own authority in verse 18. But what did he tell them? Teaching them to observe what? All things whatsoever I commanded you. All things whatsoever I commanded you. What the apostles were teaching, what they were showing to the world, was what God told them to teach. What God was setting forth, what Jesus had set forth, what the Lord had told them to say. The apostles were inspired by God. We see that in the beginning of Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit comes upon them and it tells them, or He tells them exactly how they are to do things. Jesus described it, He's going to bring to mind all things. Bring to their remembrance. They were going and they were teaching exactly what the Lord had to say. And they were to continue in these teachings. But only the teachings that came from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul wasn't saying, be followers of Paul. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that's exactly the opposite of what he was saying. He said, some of you are saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. They were dividing themselves based on their teachers. Rather than following after what the Lord had said in the first place, he said, you're listening to the man, not the message. If anyone is listening to my sermon and just taking it for my word, please don't. Please don't. I can make mistakes. I can make mistakes. I can mess up. I'm a human. If I say something, accept it because it came from God. Not because it came from me or Don or any other preacher that you hear. Study for yourself. See what the Lord has said. Check it. See, God did not leave us to make this up as we went along. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, It's not a man that walks to direct his own steps. Imagine the confusion that would happen in worshiping God if every one of us 
just did everything we wanted to do for him. Think of the confusion that would spread all over this country, all over this world of people just making it up as they went along. You want a good example of how chaotic that can be? Look at any democracy in human history. How many opinions there are and how often they disagree. If God left it up to you and me to decide how to worship Him, how crazy would that be? Imagine for a minute, when you have a wedding shower, what happens? You have a registry. You have these places that you've set aside. I want you to shop in these places. Why? That's where the couple wants you to get their gifts. Now, imagine for a minute that that's been set out, and you say, okay, I'm going to go, let's see, I'm going to go to the store where I want to get something. I'm going to buy a boat for them when they said they wanted cookware. Well, I wanted that. That's what I would want to get. But that's not what they wanted. So why do we think that that works for God? Why do we think I can present the gifts that I want to give him, but not what he's asked for? Not what he's laid out in the scriptures. This is what I want you to do. See, the doctrines that are given are not merely just a set of rules that we have to follow, and that's not how it was set aside. See, God set it out to say, this is how I want to have a relationship with you. God set these things in place not to tell us what I want. I'm trying to control your life. He says, if you don't follow these, you're leaving me. Not the other way around. It's not the other way around. God has never changed. He set the boundaries. He said, this is how, if you're in this, you're following after me. But if you leave, you're no longer in a relationship with me. Imagine how terrible it would be to think of a marriage relationship where one spouse is just running off on the other one every chance they get and then claiming, well, I'm still loving you. I'm still giving you what you deserve. but they're not, are they? They're following after every other person and giving them what belongs to their spouse. The same is true with God. Whenever you and I leave after the Father and follow after the ways of the world, in a way we're cheating on Him. Are we not the bride of Christ? Is the church not His bride? But when we allow the world to creep in, when we follow after what the world says, we're taking what belongs to God and giving it to the world. This is what this doctrine is. But doctrine is also a way to show us how to live properly in this world. God doesn't give us all these things because He wants to hurt you or harm you or prevent you from living a happy life. He says, no, this is how you live a happy life in this world. This is how you live a happy life. Doctrine includes how to live without fear. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing but everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Encouraging you not to live with this anxious fear because remember who's in charge. Remember who's the one that you can follow after. Doctrine also includes how to keep us from falling for the lies of sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul uses a very specific phrase, Be not deceived. And then gives a list of ways that we can be separated from God. He says, do not think that those lifestyles are going to follow after God. He set the path. He set the way. Do not be deceived because sin looks like it's good. It looks like it's encouraging. 
Just think for a moment about our world today and how it functions. And the absolute corruption of the word love. And what the world says is love is just simply, oh, just accept them as they are. It doesn't matter if they're about to walk off a cliff. That may be their lifestyle choice. But you and I know that's not love. Love says don't walk towards that cliff. Love says the bridge is out. Don't keep going. But so many are content to watch their fellow man suffer in their lifestyle choices because they're afraid to tell them otherwise. Or because they don't think it's worth it. But God gave us a whole book, 66 books in fact, of telling us why there's a better way. That there's a better path. The whole Bible can be summarized. Genesis chapter 3, man sins. is separated from God. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Matthew chapter 1, there's a sacrifice coming. There's going to be something that can wash away that sin, leave it all behind. Matthew chapter 1, all the way to the end of the book of John, that sacrifice has come. Book of Acts, all the way to the end of the Bible, he's coming back. He's coming back. That is this doctrine that we see. See, it's not something that is evil or wicked. It's something that is trying to encourage you to follow after the Lord so that you have something better than this life. If the best that we have is this world, how miserable are we? You do realize there's no taxes in heaven. There's no car accidents. No death, no murder, no theft. All the things that we deal with on a daily basis and only seem to get worse as the days go on, those won't be in heaven. And God says, you want to make this world your home? You want to make this life your eternal one? He says, I'm offering you a place that's far better than anything this world can offer. Even the most comfortable life here on this earth pales in comparison to the lowest place in heaven. He says, this is what I want you to follow after. This is why they continued in the apostles' doctrine, not as a means of controlling these people's lives, or trying to manipulate them in some malicious way, but rather trying to show them a better life than they were living. So that they can one day have a home in heaven with the Lord. But what did they do next? It wasn't just continuing in doctrine. While that is important, it is important that we follow after the truth. There was something else that was mentioned here. And in fellowship. In fellowship. This might be one of those that's very underrated. The idea of fellowship. We all want friends. We all want people to spend time with, to encourage us, to strengthen us. But the reality is that this word fellowship, it's far more than what we tend to think it is. See, God understood it's not good that man should be alone. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he created woman to be with him. But that wasn't where it stopped. That wasn't where it stopped. See, the world can see the impact of a group of people who genuinely love and encourage one another. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by how you love one another. Love one another. Now again, that's a word that's very corrupted in our world and say that we, we want to be a loving group of people, so we try to force it. Friends, this isn't a command that we force. 
If we have to force it, we need to get our attitudes checked. Because when we are following after the same goal, this is an easy command to follow. When we're all on the same page, it's an easy command to follow. Personalities can be different. Communication errors can be different. But just because we have moments of conflict, just because we have moments of arguing, just because we have moments where we're not exactly as happy as we should be, doesn't mean we stop loving one another. We're a family. We're a family because God brought us together. Because at one point we were all separated from Him. But due to our repentance, Acts 17.30, changing our mind, bringing a change of life, following after Him, we have each other to strengthen one another, to push each other forward. But this is more than just hanging out. This is more than just coming together on Sunday mornings and fellowshipping. This word literally carries an idea of comradeship, fighting together, going to war for one another. That's the idea that's being discussed here. A group of people who genuinely love one another is a force that's very difficult to stop. We hear stories throughout history of military forces battling against unbelievable odds, but their main goal was to stand for the person next to them. Not worrying about their own safety, but worrying about the person next to them. Thinking about, I just want to get home. And I want to make sure my buddy does too. This is the idea of fellowship that we're discussing. A group of people who are willing to stand for one another. To encourage one another, to go to war for one another, because brothers and sisters, that's exactly what we're in as a war. We are in a war daily. And the enemy wants to pick us off one by one. Because he knows if he can isolate you, he can get you. If he can separate you from the main body, you're vulnerable. Now that's not to say that you're not strong in your own rights, that you try to grow in the faith of the Lord, try to protect your own self. We know in the book of Galatians chapter 6 that we have to stand for our own selves. But Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, he says, Bear ye one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. We're the only ones that can stand on the day of judgment for ourselves, but we can help each other through our difficulties here on earth. That's the fellowship we're talking about. It's not just, oh, hi, how was your fishing trip this weekend? It's, is there anything you need? How can I help you? Putting the needs of others ahead of yourself. That's the fellowship we're talking about. That's what the early church was doing. But more than this, Yes, they followed after the doctrines of Christ. Yes, they continued in fellowship, but they also continued in worship. Breaking of bread and in prayers. Worshiping the Lord. Following after Him. See, God has always been very particular about how He has been worshipped. How do I know this? Starting in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Cain offered his sacrifice to the Lord. Abel offered his sacrifice to the Lord. Who was accepted? Abel. And what did God tell Cain? He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you worship me the way that I told you to, would you not be accepted? If not, sin lies at the door. Sin lies at the door. 
If we're not giving God what He has asked for, then we're not serving God. We're serving ourselves. We're making it exactly how we want it to be, not how God has laid it out to be. Worship is not for you and me. Is it encouraging to get together? Yes. Is it encouraging to hear the songs of praise to God? Absolutely. Is it a wonderful thing to study God's Word, to read from God's Word, to learn more about it? Absolutely. But we're not here for ourselves. We're here for God. We're worshiping God, offering praise to God. That's the point. That's the point. But more than that, even Israel and Judah. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Malachi, speaking on behalf of the Lord, is discussing how these people were worshiping God, but they were offering second best. He said, you claim to be following after God. If I'm a father, where's my honor? Where's my honor? He says, you robbed the Lord and say, how have we robbed you? He said, in your tithes and in your offerings. The sacrifices you give are second best, at best. How often do we come to worship the Lord with only our second best? We sit through the services, but I'm not giving the Lord what He's asked for. Maybe at the end of my at the end of the service, my mind's saying, "Okay, how crowded is the Cracker Barrel?" Rather than focusing on why we've come together in the first place, and that is to offer our worship to God the way He's asked us to. It's not a thing to be mourned. It's not a thing to beat ourselves up about, but it is something to remind ourselves of, to keep in mind. To say that when I come to worship the Lord, that's where my heart and mind belongs. Not anywhere else, but giving my all to God. Jesus even spoke of how we are to worship in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Specifically, verse 24, he says that true worshipers shall worship Him in spirit and in truth. What does he mean? What does he mean in spirit and in truth? Spirit, having the proper attitude coming to worship truth, I'm worshiping in the way He told me to. I have the mindset of I'm coming to worship God, not because I have to, but because I want to. Yes, it is an obligation, but why should someone have to command you to love them? Have you thought about some of the commands that God has given to people? The commands that God gives is the bare minimum. The bare minimum. He says, please, love one another. <laughs> Why? Because sometimes we have to be told. <laughs> sometimes we have to be convinced. It's not always easy. He makes these commands as the bare minimum of saying, follow after this. But he would prefer for us to do it of our own accord. To do it because we want to do it, not because we have to. You see, that's the idea in Malachi. They were worshiping because they had to. And in doing so, they were offering less than what God deserved. But what do we read when the children of Israel worshiped God because they wanted to? That was a group of people who were fully committed. Fully committed to Him. Because they understood who God was and they understood what He wanted. 
So we understand that God has a particular way He wants to be worshipped. He even illustrates this idea in Luke chapter 11, verses 10 through 13. He was discussing of how even an evil father knows how to give good gifts to his children. Now, in discussing that, he was discussing how the father would give good gifts to his children, the Lord giving good gifts to Christians. However, he also was discussing an interesting point there. Even evil people know how to give the gifts that are desired. But how often does God not get what he wants? How he's kicked out of the equation. All over this country this very morning, there's groups of people that are meeting. And they may have every discussion under the table except for what does God want here. They may be polling communities, finding out what they want to do. People who are not even members of the Lord's church. They're trying to find out what they want. And I have to imagine that God is sitting there just, just a little bit further. Just a little bit further and you could figure it out. But there's way too many people where that book is closed in the decision-making process. Maybe there's not even a marker in a passage. Friends, God has given us this book to encourage us, A, to correct us, B, and to guide us, C. He's given us this book so that we can know how to follow after Him so doubt doesn't even have to be in our equation. Fear doesn't have to be a part of our life because we know what He's given us. He asks us to worship Him. He asks us to follow after the doctrine that He has laid forth. He asks us to fellowship one with another. But He also asks us to be benevolent to those around us. To be benevolent to those around us. This is a this is a difficult one. Not because we don't want to help people, but because of how many people lie. It can sometimes be a struggle to want to help those in need because in the back of your mind you're saying, do you actually need this? Do you actually need what I'm giving you? Let's read again what happened with these people. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. How well do we know those around us? Oftentimes it's hard even to know the people in this very room. If we don't know one another, know our struggles, how can we help when there's need? I understand that it's a very difficult thing to ask for help. It is. Some people want things done very particular ways, and it can be very aggravating when someone else has to get involved. But there's a difference between knowing when we want help and need help. There's a difference in the two. And when we need help, it's not good to isolate others. See, in the first century church, let's remember what was happening here. These people had come together for the day of Pentecost. Where did they come from? All over. All over the world. 
We read in Acts chapter 8 that one of the people who came to the day of Pentecost was from Ethiopia. For those who are not familiar with geography, that's a very long ride. That's a very long trip. And he came to worship. Now, if you are a person who came to the day of Pentecost, you heard the preaching of Peter, you became a Christian, and you want to hear more, you don't want to just go home with just what little you know, where are you going to stay? Where are you going to eat? What are you going to do? They had all things in common because there was a need of the people that were there. They understood, you need food. You need a place to stay. This is not how long you plan to stay here. And so they, as a congregation, gave to those who had need. Some might have needed more than others. But they gave to those who had need. See, Jesus gives an example of how we are to be benevolent people in Matthew chapter 25. Let's go ahead and turn there, if you will. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. Here Jesus is teaching and discussing the judgment that comes, but notice what he says. Verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you and hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, and took you in, or naked, and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Yes, if Jesus came back to this earth and looked like a beggar and we knew it was him, we would help him. But are we willing to help those who are? Yes, there are times where people lie where people take advantage of the good that you do. And accidentally, inadvertently, we might be, as the world likes to call it today, enabling them. But when we act on the knowledge that we have, there's nothing to be ashamed of. How do I know this? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Love thinketh no evil. If I truly love the lost, if I truly love the world, am I going to immediately try to label them? Immediately try to think the worst of them? Or do I give them the opportunity to prove me wrong? We are not to be people who are casting out judgment on behalf of our Lord where there are moments that we can honestly see, some people's sins are right in your face. It's very obvious. And in those moments, yes, we're able to call it out. We can see it. We know it's there. 
book of Galatians, we see this happen with Peter. Peter was standing with the Gentiles when the Jews came in. What did he do? He left the Gentiles and went to the Jews. And what did it say Paul did? He withstood him to the face, for he was to be blamed. A sin that you can see. But what are the sins of the heart? The things that you and I can't see. It's a difficult thing when you're standing at a funeral. And you're to preach a sermon or preach a lesson, and part of it is going to be about the person that's in the coffin. And sometimes that's an easy sermon to preach. Sometimes it's a piece of cake. Because you can stand before that crowd and say, he's got nothing to worry about. It's us we got to worry about. But then there's other times where you have to feel like you walk on eggshells with what you say because you know very well that person did not live a righteous life. But as Christians, we live a life where we genuinely love, not as the world loves. Jesus even described that point in John chapter 13. He says, you can, if you love people who are loving you, what reward have you? What blessing is it to love those who love you back? That's easy to do. That's the easy form of love. That's loving on easy mode. The difficult time is loving those who hate you. Doing good to those who despitefully use you and persecute you. That's where it becomes difficult. That's where it hurts to do the Lord's will. But why did God command that of us? Doesn't he know how much it hurts? More than we know. More than we know, God knows how painful it is to love those who reject you. Because He does it every single day. And has done it for as long as this world has been spinning and will continue to do it for as long as the world continues to spin and will do it after as well. It's a difficult thing. It is. But that's why we have the examples in Scripture so that we don't have to try to figure it out by ourselves. Because these are not our knee-jerk responses. You want some extra evidence that the Bible is true? Read how many commands make no sense to a human. (laughs) You mean to tell me that I have to lower myself to help someone else? You mean to tell me that I have to act against my own self-interest to make sure someone gets ahead? You mean to tell me that I have to try to do good to those who are actively hurting me? It's a painful thing. It's a difficult thing. But that's the church. And while we may have some short-term pains some short-term difficulties here on this earth, maybe upwards of 70, 80, 90, 100 years. The end result is going to be far better. The end result is to be far, far better. Why are these things told to us in the Scriptures? Why couldn't God just let us live our lives as we wanted to and just zap us into heaven when we die? because we have free will because we have choices to make 
and because He wants us to choose to love Him and to follow after Him. The first century church, when they heard what God had said, it says they gladly received the Word. They heard what He said, and it pricked their hearts to the point they made a change. Will we do the same? Many of us who are in this room are members of the Lord's church. Maybe have been for years. But maybe we started slipping on some of these commands. Maybe we started struggling in areas that we really shouldn't be. He wants us to come home. He wants us to make it right. He wants us to be like that first century church so that we can follow after Him truthfully. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every one of these things, if we failed on every one of these commands, we have time to make it right. But not much. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed a week from now. We're not guaranteed to the point we're sitting in the hospital bed and make it right right before we die. We have right now. We have right now to make our decisions to make sure we're right with the Lord. But maybe you've never named the name of Christ. Maybe you're not a member of the Lord's church. You've never even started following this path. Maybe this is even the first time you've heard about it. He's made his plan simple and available. You must hear the word, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And based upon that hearing, we believe it to be true, John 8, 24. I said, therefore, unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And based upon that belief, that understanding, that hearing what he has said, and understanding it to be true, we're willing to repent of all of our past sins. Acts 17, 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent changing our mindset to walk in newness of life. And once that repentance has been made, we're willing to confess, to say, I'm done following after the world. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I'm not apologizing for it. According to Romans 10, 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And based upon that confession, that understand that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, when he acknowledged that God was exactly who he said he was, that Jesus was the Son of God, he and Philip went into the water and he baptized him, according to 1 Peter 3, 21, the like figure we're into, even baptism doth also now save us. Not to putting away the filth of the flesh, not just a bath, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Following after him, bearing that old man of sin, Race to walk in newness of life. Patterns matter. Patterns matter because they show us the way. And just like that illustration we had at the beginning of trying to figure out how to put the toy together, imagine trying to put a church together without God's help. We can do all that God has commanded because He laid it out for us. The question this morning is what will we do with that pattern? Will we follow after it and do what Christ has asked? Or will we continue to follow after the ways of the world? The choice is yours this morning. What will you decide to do as together we stand and as we sing?